Okay, this week in Common Sense, starring you, Paul Jacob. The audience uh, is, of course, a regular reader of thisiscommonsense.org, where we talk about uh, the big issues of the week. And the big issues of the week were, what were they, Paul? Georgia. You know, uh, Georgia, which is, I think, getting less attention than it otherwise would. We got two Senate races, and uh, the difference between whether, not only whether Republicans control the Senate or Democrats control the Senate, but whether Democrats control everything in terms of House, Senate, and presidency. And of course, back in 2008, the control in the Senate by Democrats was 60 seats. So that was a filibuster-proof majority. That was a big deal. And if you think about it, uh, Ted Kennedy died, what was it, I guess, uh, nine months into the Obama presidency, something like that. But that's one reason why Pelosi basically had to take what came from the Senate uh, and work with that in terms of Obamacare because they didn't couldn't get back through the Senate. Now, that was back when people were friendly and nice. Uh, today, it's pretty obvious that at any point someone bumps into a filibuster that they really don't like, the filibuster is simply a rule that the Senate adopts by majority. So a 60-vote filibuster requirement that protects the minority from majority abuse is only there as long as that majority decides to have it there. They can knock it out at any time. And I think, you know, I I can see arguments for and against the filibuster. I tend to like it, but I I can see where it can be problematic at times. It ought to be there in some real way, not at the desire of Congress, but at the desire of the American people. So if we want a filibuster in our U.S. Senate, then let's put it in the Constitution and make it a requirement that they can't play games with in Washington or might as well get rid of it or just consider it not there for anything serious. And of course, it was the Democrats who first uh, Republicans were blocking uh, Obama judges. The Democrats decided we're going to get rid of it for for some of these things. And then the Republicans decided, well, we're going to get rid of it for Supreme Court justices. And at any point, Democrats or Republicans could, whoever's in control of the Senate, by by they could be 50-50 and they could bring it up. In the, and I think the, uh, even though it's a rule, I think still the, the vice president would decide it. So, you know, it can go just like that. And it reminds me, of course, uh, Monday's script was Georgia on my mind. And I was pointing out that one, Cato has a has a, a good piece that we link to. Uh, this is commonsense.org, Georgia on my mind, links there to some analysis that Cato Institute people have done. In fact, the late Bill Niskanen, who uh, I think is a superstar uh, of public policy and a big fan of initiative and referendum. In fact, probably the strongest pro-initiative person <clears throat> over at uh, at Cato uh, for for years and years when he was living and and working and writing, so uh, but but what their analysis basically says is 
forget Republicans and Democrats. Big spending happens when there's united government, much more than when there's divided government. Wars happen when there's united government, not so much when there's divided government. Reforms that are sustainable and long term can happen with divided government, but don't tend to happen with uh, united government, largely because those reforms are oftentimes daggers. Uh, you know, they're wielding the reform like a knife, a machete. And, and even sometimes when there's good aspects to it, there's partisan and nasty aspects to it in the body politic. And so uh, that's important to remember uh, because, you know, I think that there's an argument. In fact, this week I've been on Facebook Messenger communicating back and forth with either the Libertarian Party candidate uh, Shane Hazel or somebody who does his his messenger back and forth. Uh, but I've been lobbying him uh, not so much on the position of uh, uh, Purdue or or uh, Oscoff, but um, but on the fact that if Oscoff wins and the Democrat wins the other one, that they have united government in Washington and that they can do a lot of stuff that is really bad stuff like again, packing the court. This is another, you know, the filibuster's not ours. It's really the politicians. They control it, not us. And they use it partisanly, not for good Republican government. Same with the court. We have the Supreme Court. We've talked about it before. Uh, if you're tired, you know, just send your cards and letter with a check, say, hey, talk about something else, Paul. But, uh, but this court thing is huge. Here we are. We're the world superpower. And that's ridiculous because that term is ridiculous. And people, especially in intelligent conversations, should stop using it. Um, but we're supposed to be big and the, the world's preeminent power, uh, educated, everything else, uh, and governed in a way that's sophisticated. And our court system, which is the envy of the world, not that it's everything it should be, but compared to the rest of the world, it's just wonderfully independent and, and a, a vibrant kind of citizen-controlled part of the government, and yet it's not in the Constitution. So the politicians in Washington, anytime they want, can muster a majority and change the size of the Supreme Court. If Democrats win those two seats in Georgia, there is no way to stop them from changing the Supreme Court, a Supreme Court that, as we think about it, was formed term after term after presidential term. And I'd like to get to a different system. I, at the top like that, with that much power, I'd like term limits. And I'd like a rotation system that didn't allow the chance of death to make one president you know, pick three justices and another president pick none. But when you think of how that court is built, it's built through elections over, you know, every four years for president and to then get a majority of the Congress and win a presidential election and decide you're going to undo all of that history with just, hey, let's get up and vote and change the whole thing. We as citizens cannot let that sort of thing happen, because if the Democrats do it, the Republicans will come back, the Democrats will come back we will have a court system that's like the rest of the world, which means just hope like hell, you don't ever get accused of anything. <clears throat> but, but I don't think, I don't think, 
I don't think I had any positive impact on Shane Hazel or his uh, person, whoever I was communicating with. And, and uh, hopefully it was, it was Shane. Uh, it was very respectful and good conversation. But there seemed to be a sense that that somehow, I, I don't know, I get the sense a lot of times that that Republicans are held to a different standard than Democrats. And that it's almost like, um, I think he didn't pay any attention really to the argument that we're talking about whether the entire, this isn't about this one seat. This is about whether Democrats will have control to do all kinds of things that are way beyond what any one senator could do because you're at that tipping point. Um, but I think the other thing was that Purdue on a constitutional basis, and he had a group that had, had uh, come up with something. He was 22 percent voted pro-constitutional. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't you know, I've never kind of held up David Purdue as the greatest U.S. senator ever. Um, but I do. And I have a sign behind me saying, saying Susan Collins, uh, who I certainly have never held up as the as the best senator. I guess I've, I've got her sign up there. Uh, but I'm glad she won. And I want Purdue to win. And that isn't to say let's let's you know let's be open and honest about what voting is in America. That's not to say that we like them at all. We could despise them vehemently, just less vehemently than their opponent. And uh, and I think in the case of Georgia, uh, Katie barred the door. If uh, if if they were to win both seats, and it's not beyond the realm of possibility. They apparently won Georgia. And uh, why wouldn't they win it? And they lost both of those seats in terms of Republican votes compared to, to Democratic votes on the U.S. Senate level, which I don't think is, is unheard of, that, that they did better down ballot than the president did. Oftentimes it's been, been the other way, but it's not always that way. Anyway, it, it seems to me that certainly those two seats are well in play. Where they went to a runoff, the, the runoff with the Purdue-Oscoff uh, it's a couple of percentage points. And um, and so, you know, it, it's serious stuff. And it seems to me that that, again, I guess my frustration a little bit in that. I think, you know, I don't think you have to be unprincipled. To look at reality and try to make it better. Like, I don't think I don't think I'm being unprincipled and, and not that not that Shane has to endorse anybody he doesn't want to endorse. Don't get don't get me wrong. He's got every right to go. No, nah, I just don't feel like I want to endorse him. He's not good enough. I'm not going to endorse him. Great. I, I understand. But if you're trying to choose what's the better to do, it seems to me you do have to think of what the effects are um, in the same way that I think. um I've always thought that our worldwide empire and world policeman role is something that we need to step back from or step forward away from uh, to somehow transcend. And and uh, and you can say, well, I'm for non-intervention. But do you you know, do you know when there's there's troops massed on the border for for years and moving out today? will cause them to, the, the bad guys to come across the border. Do you move today? 
Or do you say, well, we're, we're going to be talking with some people about how we try to negotiate some things. Do you try to do it in a way that is not going to precipitate people dying? Because you, you know, you, you believe in principle, but you also really believe in people not dying when they don't have to. So I think, I think that's where we get to certain alliances that would make sense to do as a way to step back. But it's, but on all these things, it's to me, I think you have to get to a point where you look at, at what are, what are the, the big consequences? It's great to be, to send a message, but at a certain point, the world needs more than messages. It, we, we need to, we need to block bad things and do some good things. So what you've been talking about here is in the Georgia race is the libertarian candidate, Shane Hazel, right? Uh, and he, because he got enough votes, the senatorial election in Georgia went to runoff. And when that's occurring in January? January 5th is the runoff. Um, and and it is true that he got, uh, he was well over the margin of difference. You don't always know that that would have gone to the Republican. Uh, with the Libertarians, I think, I, one, I think anytime it's a third party candidate, some of that vote will not come out and vote for the Republican or the Democrats. So you, you can't count that it's all gonna go someplace. This particular race, uh, I don't know that, uh, uh, I do sort of think that the difference clearly would have, there. there's enough of a slant, I think, toward the Republican than toward Oscoff, who is certainly a progressive and and just talks about government in a way that I think is very tough even for left libertarians to to kind of embrace. And in fact, in my discussion with, with Shane, it was, it was, uh, you know, he mentioned that, you know, he doubted that, that Oscoff was more than 20% worse than, than, uh, Purdue. Well, okay. Well, that's, that's not, that's kind of damning with, with faint praise. Uh, that means he's not as good as Purdue, even though Purdue scored 22% in the constitution, you know, uh, survey that, that, uh, that Shane Hur, uh, uh, Hazel had had uh, pointed out to me. But your point isn't that Oscoff is himself, um, you know, much, much, much worse. It's that Oscoff, in the context of the Democrats securing the Senate, would be worse than otherwise. So what? And and you talked to Shane Hazel. Did you talk to him on the phone? No. Okay. No, it was just through Facebook Messenger. So it was a very, you know, you know, kind of a, a uh, uh, you know, we, we didn't, and it wasn't a long conversation, but it, I don't think he ever really looked at that part of it, which to me is a very important part to look at because my sense is that if I looked at their agenda, that I would really have a problem with Oscoff, uh, much more than Purdue, although I, I'm sure I would have a problem with Purdue on all kinds of things. And so that, you know, if there's a, if there's a better choice, you'd be looking for it. But, but when it's like, let's say it was reversed and Republicans had everything. Um, it seems to me that a libertarian who, especially if you're concerned about some of the issues that, that makes you more of a left libertarian say, you're going to want to vote to where Republicans don't have full control. And it seems to me, even if you're 
much more of a conservative-oriented libertarian, meaning not that you don't care about the, the other issues, but your main focus is economic issues, let's say. And and so you tend to, you know, kind of, you you vote more Republican when there's not a libertarian in the race, that sort of thing. I think in that case, you're voting for Oscoff and you're holding your nose to do it, but you want to stop government from being able to, and, and maybe you say, no, nah, I'm not that scared of the Republicans. And, and oftentimes I think you might say, I'm not that scared of the Democrats. I remember when Bill Clinton got elected and I was not scared of Bill Clinton in the way I'm scared of Joe Biden. And it's not that Bill Clinton is less liberal than Joe Biden, or I'm not. I'm not assessing their particular, you know, political ideology. I'm much more assessing their ability to do harm, and that's really a, more of a judgment on society maybe than them. In that there's the opportunity now, and the talk about Democrats some doing some things that I think are a disaster. You know, raising taxes too high and causing unemployment, you can kind of fix. Taking dynamite to the federal court system and destroying it is that's not something that just gets repaired like that. That's that is a devastating, devastating blow. And and there's and and some of the things that they talk about, I mean, in, in we will get to Friday's script, uh, but uh, on Friday, we talked about uh, Bill Maher and uh, his little rant about how, you know, crazy the Democrats have talked. And one of the points we'll make is that uh, it's not the talk that's the problem. It's the policies behind that talk. So maybe we should go on to Tuesday, which is uh, which is one reason maybe that uh, elections people can can still uh, disagree what what happened with the elections. Everything's not sorted out. Uh, we've been we've been watching uh, videos of, of Rudy Giuliani and and other people talking. Sidney Powell uh, talking about you know that there's been massive fraud, uh, and we'll let all of that come. We'll we'll uh, we may uh, speak about it, but but you know, we'll see what happens there. But let's say that. Whatever happened, we have a huge communication problem in that corporate control of social media, the Internet, uh, is Solene's left. And not just left, but I mean, who cares what their politics is if, if they provide you a platform to speak? But it seems like in buzzsawing the conservative treehouse, um, that they're letting you speak. And then if your speech becomes effective, even though you followed all the rules, and we, we see this again and again and again, they don't point to the rule that somebody broke. And all of a sudden, they're very transparent, you know, community loving process for determining who gets shut down or not, becomes very opaque. And it hasn't in, in this case. Uh, and this is this is not Twitter and Facebook and Google, the usual suspects, but a new suspect, uh, WordPress, and shutting down a conservative website that's been there, uh, the conservative treehouse for years, and has built a following, 
and then all of a sudden is told, get off of WordPress. You can't be on this platform anymore because you violated our rules. Oh, what, what rule? What rule did we violate? You violated our rules. You have this long to get off. We're not specifying what rule you broke. You know, there's a zillion people out there who are on the blue team and who maybe have gotten, have been too close to the blue paint and breathing in for too long and think that, hey, this isn't censorship. Oh, you're just snowflakes. You know, you're always calling us snowflakes, but now you just run off to your own platforms. But when you're shutting people down, as, as you pointed out, when you kick some, throw somebody to the ground and then start kicking them, complaining about them not getting up, is is kind of uh, ridiculous. And and this is what, you know, they're forcing people out. And I think most people, uh, you know, and we're, we've been moving very slowly, but now we're on MeWe and, and uh, you know, and we're, you know, we're, we have to, I think, move to these other platforms. It doesn't mean, you know, maybe Facebook, maybe Twitter, maybe they change their stripes once the competition forces that. But, it, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense for us to be on platforms that when it gets close to an election, we're going to be shut down. And, and what happened to the New York Post on Twitter? Uh, there's, there's just nothing. Uh, there's nothing like that. To be shut down on uh, the fourth largest circulation paper in the country, shut down... Uh, for no reason, no no reason that made any sense. One of the lessons here has to be that we have to be wary of any particular major corporation. Uh, these social media outfits tempt us to put all of our eggs in one basket, but really we try to diversify. So thisiscommonsense.org is a website that is hosted on a different platform than the company that manages your control of the domain name and you're on Facebook and MeWe and we have to be careful about not diversifying. We have to actually allow ourselves ways of maintaining our lists. For instance, the email for thisiscommonsense.org uh, is managed on a different system than everything else. So this is this has to be considered one of the big lessons. I back up this podcast this week in common sense. I back this up to BitChute as well. And uh, because who knows what YouTube will do to people. It, it, it treats many people very, very badly. Right. Right. Well, if we say something that the World Health Organization hasn't approved, we could be in big trouble. Well, we should go to lockdown mania, winter phase. Gee, just think if this if this pandemic can last long enough, just think of all the names, all the creativity we'll have to pour into different lockdown and disastrous uh, terms for what's happening. What what's happening, of course, is following the science, or is it following the fear? It's one or the other, but but it should be called science either way because that sells better. And that's, I mean, it seems like, and we've done nothing really on, I guess we did something on Pelosi, 
when she did her little routine. But now you've got Gavin Newsom, uh, who not only violates all the rules he's telling everyone else they have to follow, but then apparently lies about it. Because to make it seem less like he totally went against what he told everyone else they better do or else, he said that they were eating outside. Well, you see the picture now and sure looks inside. There's glass all around it and a chandelier over the table. Was the chandelier hooked to the moon? I don't think so. So it's, it's, uh, it's a governor who orders you to do something because it's life or death and then shows you not really. No, it's not life and death. And I'm not following those rules because I've got a life to live. And then when he gets caught, doesn't even have the graciousness to at that point tell the truth. At that point, he's still lying and spinning. And at this point, frankly, I doubt the media is going to go after him. He's a Democrat. I mean, why would they attack him? Why would they keep running with some story that's negative about him? So, uh, you know, I mean, he may, if they have a two term limit in California. So that's good. But, uh, but you know, like he's unlikely to face many consequences. It'd be interesting for someone to go make a citizen's arrest on him. Yeah, that would be odd. Uh, <laughs> for violating the, the COVID rules that he's handed yeah. down. The only problem is the citizen's <laughs> arrest is such a hard thing to manage. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the, really advocating that. Yeah, everybody, yeah, the, the, everybody stand down. <laughs> yeah, uh, arrested. That, I've never even heard of anybody suggest that. I, I, you didn't suggest it. We know, we know that. You, you're, you're giving no legal That's advice right. here. Uh, but, uh, I'm giving you but, legal advice. Don't do it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Unfortunately, the humility that you just expressed legally uh, is not expressed when it comes to science regarding the coronavirus. The, uh, people don't seem to question anything. I mean, the, I mean, the bulk of people, they just go along with whatever the governors are saying. They're following the politics, not the science. They're following the politics. And that's, of course, that's always what's going to happen when it's decided politically. I mean, the science might influence, but that's that's the most. It's going to be decided politically. That's why schools are closing, because the teachers' unions have power, and they don't want to get sick and die. I mean, you can you can hardly blame them, but it's the sort of thing that means that schools, which are the lowest like transmission place you can find, are closed, but bars and places like that can be open, and then they also. They decide we're going to have shorter hours. Well, how does that help? Doesn't that mean that however many people have less time? So socially distancing. I mean, if a, if 100 people are going to need to come to your bar, uh, they're going to come between six and eight instead of six and 10. You're going to have twice as many people at any one given time. And so it none of this stuff seems to make any sense. But they just spout it and they're on TV and they think, here's the, the problem, they think we believe it all. They think, well, I said it was on TV, you know, the masses out there, we're just a bunch of dummies who just like, we see something on TV, oh, that's what, oh, that's different from what they said yesterday, but I'll do whatever they say. And, you know, the, the news to them is going to be that that's not how most people are. Very few people are kind of TV zombies who just do whatever they tell them on 
on you know this morning in America or whatever the show is. This piece had quite a few links, uh, and people should go to those links. Uh, they should go to thisiscommonsense.org and look up the uh, article, uh, Lockdown Mania, Winter Phase, because, and it's a pity, we could put a lot more in them, too, because there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Uh, there was a, a study of Marines and, and uh, that showed that lockdowns, that is extreme social distancing and, 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 uh, and uh, so forth, don't work very well. Uh, and in fact, the, the control, it had a control group, and the control group, the control group that was not using the strictures had better, not worse. Right. Right. And there's a lot of this going on, by the way, and uh, all over the place, every day, but we're not allowed to see much of it by the major media and the social media companies. They really do not like to uh, admit that any of this is uh, being said. Here, here's the other thing that I think is a way people might be able to kind of just gauge when anything on television makes any sense. And it's, it's true in your newspaper, too, but it's it's just... When they start to disagree or say, well, it's not really clear yet, when there's ambiguities, when there's all kinds of gray, when they say, well, you know, we really don't know, that's when we're going to have some sense that we're starting to have the kind of conversation that we could learn something from and that we might come to some action items for going forward. And, and But it's it seems like everything is... The government said this, and we're going to believe it, whether it makes any sense or not. And and part of that is, look at the whole, one of the things we link to is some of the talk about what's happened in Sweden and, you know, the fact that they were going for more of a herd immunity and not locking down. And we hear constantly, in, in fact, as we were working on this, we we put two pieces in here, two headlines from uh, Reuters, and I guess it was uh, uh, Business Insider, uh, where they have a headline basically saying Sweden admits it was a big mistake to do it their way. And then what comes out is, no, it wasn't a big mistake. They have about the same rates as other places do in terms of the spikes going on now, but they didn't shut down their entire economy. They didn't suffer all the problems. And see, that's the other thing, is shutting down the entire economy is viewed kind of like no harm, like it's no big deal. And and frankly, I have to tell folks, I feel awfully lucky. I work out of my house. I make a run to Starbucks once a day and, you know, get my hands, you know, sanitized when I get back in the car and. And, uh, you know, I mean, my daily routine hasn't changed much, except that I, I don't get to travel and meet people and so on. And, and you know, I'm in the same place all the time. But so so you can lock down for a long time, especially if you keep Starbucks open. Uh, that, that's the secret. If I were president, it'd be everything's closed, except, except we're going to really be caffeinated. But uh, no, uh, I'm kidding. But uh, but it, these these lockdowns do not affect everybody the same. And I hate this whole, you know, every time there's some problem, if it's a hurricane, somehow it hurt, you know, the poor and the, and people of color more than other people. And of course, 
wealth is going to track with almost anything. You're going to live in higher ground. You're going to have better chances here. You're going to get to a better hospital or have better care. And so, you know, there is some difference there. But in terms of um, now I've lost my train of thought, Tim. (laughs) Well, there's a haze. I mean, just the sheer amount of information that we don't talk about regarding this subject. I mean, it almost boggles the mind. You could go almost anywhere. We didn't mention that the Danes nixed Danish people for one week protested outside their parliament or whatever with pots and pans clanging so they wouldn't be given a new regimen that would put them under horrible quarantine controls. And we did have comments where people pointed out what you just pointed out. They pointed it out for Germany, uh, that there had been all kinds of protests and unrest there and in other countries. And, you know, I, I do a lot of kind of online surfing to find out what's happening in different parts of the world, um, a lot more than I used to. And, and so I've seen a lot of these stories, but I haven't seen them in the Washington Post. I haven't seen them in the New York Times. I haven't seen them talked about. And I think largely because we've been pretty much fed a steady diet of the U.S. had the worst response to COVID of any country. It's really only the U.S. that has stumbled. It's because of Trump. We have the worst response in the world. And if you look at, at what's happening around the world, that's just not true. It's just not true. It's not. We haven't had the best response. That's the free island nation of Taiwan. Uh, but we've had pretty good results in a lot of different ways. And the truth is, coming up with a vaccine this this quickly has not been done before. And this is a, it's somewhat impressive if it happens. We'll see whether the vaccine works out the way that that folks hope it will and that, that it's being sold that is 94% effective. And I, I kind of wonder, 94% effective for how long? Uh, because this could come back and come back and mutate and, and so on. So there's all kinds of questions with it. But the bottom line is we have not had the most disastrous response to this of any country in the world. And that's just been that's been hype. That's been spin that our media has decided we need to be fed. Well, I look at this actually from the very beginning. I've looked at all this as class warfare and it's the cognitive elite class warfare against everybody else. Well, and I was just going to say that's I lost my train of thought as to where I was headed as I just went one to one thing to another. But that's a lot of it. There are people that this doesn't that locking down is not such a big deal. If you've got money in the bank, if they're still paying your salary, if locking down is I get to spend more time on the back porch, you know, reading a book or something and counting, you know, the money go into my account every month. That's not a huge sacrifice. If someone's working on a, a hourly wage and can't work and, you know, runs out of unemployment and, and I mean, these are big problems. If someone has a business and that's how they make their money and that business is shut down. And of course, people say, well, we need a program. You, you can't. There's not a program to just pay everyone to do everything. If that were the case, communism would work. We could just everybody could go to the fair every day and ride the, the Ferris wheel. I mean, come on. Come on, man. Um, 
Come on. <laughs> uh, it could be worse. I mean, one of the reasons we could be have this shoved down our faces is that there are people who really want to make hay of this. Uh, the Davos people want a UBI. Uh, we, we've been caught, uh, Trudeau came, was caught last week, was it, or something, uh, basically pitching the Great Reset. And he even said that we're going to take advantage of the opportunities that the COVID lockdowns provide to push the Great Reset, which includes forgiving all debt in the Canadian version and uh, establishing a UBI. Uh, this is a huge, huge thing. And you will, if you're preventing people from laboring and having a normal life, well, that that uh, that offer will seem more reasonable because they got to have something. If you're not allowed to do anything, then you got to have something. Right, right. No, I mean you have to. <laughs> no, this this great reset, which is kind of a, un, a baseless conspiracy theory, except that all the right people keep talking about it. All the kind of Bill Gates types keep talking about how. We have to remake the world. But the Great Reset oh. is, a, is a huge importance because it isn't a conspiracy because they're telling us what they want to do. This is this is out in public. The guy who runs the Davos conventions that all the bigwigs around the world go to every year, that guy has written a book on the Great Reset. We can, you can go look up. It's, this is not at all secret. You know, and the truth is, this takes us somewhat to Friday's script. Now, I'm going to suggest we kind of hop over Thursdays, but the way this takes us to Friday's script is that people sometimes say things, and then, and, and with Trump, anytime he said anything, oh, this, this is a dog whistle, this means this, we have to take it at its worst. But oftentimes the Democrats say stuff, and some of these big people who are, you know, making so many big moves in society say things. And it isn't taken so seriously, and it needs to be taken seriously. And we'll jump over Not Acosta, which is Thursday's script. And it's about the fact that Scott Johnson with Powerline in Minnesota was blocked from going to the press conferences at the governor's mansion or at the Capitol with the governor because he asked some tough questions. The type of thing you'd think be on front pages of papers all over the country, very little news about it, but at thisiscommonsense.org, not Acosta, uh, you, get, you get the story. And, of course, we compared him uh, to uh, Mr. Acosta. What's, what's, uh, I, all of a sudden, I'm blanking on uh, Acosta's first name. Isn't it Jim Acosta? Jim. Jim Acosta, yes. And it was Trump's treatment of him because of... Acosta's treatment of they, Trump during the conference in the during the right, press meetings. Right, and I think I think there's a big difference in that Acosta was much more I think rude and and went on and on in this particular instance. But I don't know that that was you know exactly the right response either to to boot him out completely. By the way, I would have. I would have booted. Well, I might have, but I but I would have said you can come back if you can. In in other words, I I think I would have done it uh, better for the cameras and better in terms of put the onus on him. Don't get hot under the collar and. But anyway, that's you know sometimes you get the good with the bad. But you want to go on to a little co more common sense from Friday. Yes. Yes. The you know. This is the rant that Mar went on 
And it's been picked up a lot. And I think it's important to comfort that people hear it. You know, he talked about the fact that Democrats are the party of ever every hypersensitivity uh, and and, you know, kind of hit the Democrats on the defund the police and all that sort of thing. But at the end of it, it seemed there seems some emptiness <laughs> to his contrition. Uh, not that he was contrite, actually. He's a brilliant strategist. If they would have just asked him, he would have given him all the right issues and exactly how to talk about them. But the the Democrats, in essence, and even Moore is playing into this. It's the usual Washington, D.C. game of PR. We've got a serious problem. So how do we spin it so people don't think of it as a serious problem? Not how do we solve the problem? Oh, who cares? <laughs> the problem just affects little people out in the real world. How it's perceived affects those of us elite political class people here in Washington. And that's the importance. And so in this piece uh, and in uh, Mars rant, which is, is very good, there's links to it. Uh, it's a fun, it's fun to listen to uh, a few dirty words here and there. Um, but, and you know, you find yourself agreeing with him, which is something I don't often do with him. But uh, but then he he points out that Democrats too often don't come across as having common sense. So they don't come across as having common sense. I kind of wonder, is is that because they don't have common sense? <laughs> Would that maybe be the cause of that? And maybe you know that because of the policies they're advocating and what they're saying about that? Anyway. You go on and uh, you have uh, uh, Clyburn, uh, who is, you know, one of the, the probably the leading black uh, congressman, uh, James Clyburn, South Carolina, pretty much put Biden over in South Carolina by saying vote for Biden and uh, very powerful. He came out and said, defund the police as a slogan, he didn't say as a slogan, but he said, defund the police is killing the party. Now think about that for a second. Defund the police, what's the problem with defund the police? Well, the problem to me with defund the police is that that strategy is gonna to lead to a situation in which a lot of innocent people are left without any protection from what I like to sometimes jokingly, you know, if the kids are going to, they're going to their car late at night, I watch them go to their car. And I always joke that, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want the marauders to get you. But, you know, in some neighborhoods, there's a lot more marauders than other neighborhoods. And I joke about it, but I'm still, even in my nice neighborhood, I don't think I have much of a crime problem here. I watch them go to the car if it's dark. That's the, the problem with defund the police is not that it kills the Democratic Party's hopes in an election. The problem is that it kills innocent people in those communities. Why didn't Clyburn say, 
It's killing people in my communities. It's killing people in our country. That's got to go. No, it's only got to go as a slogan because it's killing Democrats' hopes of taking power. He quotes, uh, Mark quotes uh, Connor Lamb, kind of a conservative guy in Pennsylvania. The rhetoric needs to be dialed back. So why, what, if they said it a little different, it'd be okay? We're not going to have a police force anymore, but we're going to talk about it in a whole different way. And, and frankly, what I, what I find so funny is that on any sort of criminal justice reform you can think of, I'm for it. And I happen to know from looking at polling on it that the American people are for it. Not, not 55-45, not 60-40, not 70-30, more, 80, 90% in favor. I've seen polls showing 90% in favor of police cams, uh, you know, lapel cameras, and, and getting rid of civil asset forfeiture is, is 88 to 92% support. These, there's all kinds of reforms to make, but, but the truth is what they're advocating is not about cleaning up that problem. It's about let's send more money to social workers who are going to vote for Democrats at much higher rates than policemen. And if you think for a second that that's not the calculations going on in Washington, you have missed what's going on. You are naive. And I hate to tell you that, and I hate to tell you that I was naive for much of my life. It's just hard to believe people can think that way. But when you hear them <laughs> again and again, it starts to dawn on you that there are people who think that way. And they are working in Washington for the Republicans and the Democrats. So it's, uh, and, and that's really, you know, after an election, it seems to me, you, you want parties to kind of go, uh, it looks like the public doesn't want to go here. They want to go over here. But really what they're looking to do is how do we, how do we repackage where we want to go so that we can trick enough people to get the power to go there. And that's, and, and that's not just the Democrats. That's, that's uh, pretty universal in, in Washington. But it's, uh, it's why that it's great to hear Bill Maher say something like this, you know, and you, it's kind of like, wow, he's exactly right. But he hasn't gotten the message, really. This is about spin. It's not about reality. Uh, I heard somebody in a podcast uh, today uh, say something about uh, that once they were able to separate what President Trump said from what he did, they liked him a lot more. And um, that's, you know, you, you, might, you might think that way or not, but that's a good thing kind of to be said about you, I think. Uh, it, might, it might suggest that you should talk better, but it's, but it's generally a good thing. Our problem is that those people we elect to represent us in Congress or that we put into the White House or that we cry because somebody else put them in the White House, they, they, don't, they don't represent us 
so well. And, uh, and they more often don't do, you know, when, when we come to that, Hey, what about what they say and what they do? Well, oh, what they say is, oh, it's great. But what they do is terrible. I mean, look at look at Republicans, what they've said about health care and Obamacare. And then look at what they do. They're an embarrassment. They're just a complete and total 101 percent embarrassment. I mean, especially if you believe like I do that there are free market ways that that medicine can be better delivered than through the bureaucracy and the, I mean, it's pitiful. And there's all kinds of, I mean, we're everybody's for peace, but we can never bring a soldier home. And so this is, it's rampant in our politics. And that's why uh, with Mr. Biden, uh, the press may, you know, go to sleep. But uh, for me, I want to look at what he's doing, not what he's saying. And the same was true with with Trump. Uh, I so often did not like what he said, uh, but ended up liking the policies. He had plenty of policies I didn't like. I mean, he's he's a a very flawed president, but there's almost that, that sense that he might do something you know, you find out every once in a while he did something good you didn't know, which you would never find out with the others because they're always trumpeting. I mean, the media for them is trumpeting so much of what they're doing, and it's mediocre at best, if not horrible. And so you never have that feeling. And so uh, anyway, that's it'd be I'll be interested to see who might come up, who is someone who uh, who ends up doing better than they talk well since this is a talk show i wonder i wonder what that means for us uh <laughs> not here here we're all about just just gabbing on and on <laughs> well it looks like we're ended uh, we're going to skip over not acosta not get into it much i mean it's a story that people can read at this is commonsense.org and this is a podcast you can get from various podcatchers and on SoundCloud. And it's on YouTube as a video and backed up to my BitChute account. There you are. That's it. All right. All the news that's, uh, that's fit to something. Fit to upload. And for the listener and viewer, fit to download at thisiscommonsense.org.